4: Kevin Smith was born in New Jersey, and after watching the movie Slacker, he was inspired to become a filmmaker himself. Kevin has created some critically acclaimed hits, from Clerks, to Mallrats, to Chasing Amy, and Jersey Girl. He's also a comic book fan, and wrote a few himself, like Chasing Dogma and Guardian Devil. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Kevin Smith reflects on the moment he had his life-threatening heart attack, how he met his wife, and his relationship with his father, and his idol, Stan Lee. Welcome to the show, Kevin.
3: Captain, hey, man, really nice to meet Pleasure. you. Pleasure. Yeah. Which one am I? Not it? This is it? you. This is you. I'm a stand. If that's cool. Oh yeah. Have you have you been that guy? My whole life. Standing. Yeah. The uh, if you're if you're gonna talk. Yeah. It's usually like the best for delivery. Like everything's presentational yeah. mode, right? So it feels always weird for me if I. Sit down, because that's what I do. But, like when I'm home, but if I'm like here to talk, right? Talking my, it's like a stand-up thing. And, and, and were you high school, college? You did the same thing? Um, I guess, yeah. I mean, we yeah. had to. That was mandatory. Right. You'd have to get up in front of the class yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But generally, in this sort of thing, like, yeah. I live in a world of director chairs, and I can't stand them. Like, I never sit in them. I'm, on a set, I yeah. tend to stand the whole time. Yeah.
2: And and how how long can you go? How long can you go standing? How long you got. <laughs> <laughs> It depends on what we're talking about you know I like that Okay, I like that I like it. man, it looks like you lost a ton of weight. Am I making that up?
3: after i uh, I had a heart attack three years ago, okay. and so okay. I went vegan and dropped some some weight. Wow and do you, do you feel different? I did. It was okay. a very uh, weird experience. Okay. Um, but you know I've had time to acclimate to it and yeah. but yeah, yeah it was yeah. it was interesting. like at one point yeah. I was on in men's health and I'm like. Yeah that's <laughs> right. I right, 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 right. <laughs> so right. never imagined that except yeah. as a before picture type of thing. Yeah. And did you, do you eat differently? What do you do? Yeah, I went vegan. Okay. So I took out all the oh, you did animal the Bill food Clinton thing. And stuff. I, guess, I guess. Okay. Is he vegan? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. My kid had been vegan yeah. for like a couple yeah. of years prior to that. So I was like, she kind of was the vegan astronaut. Right, right, she, right. She'd found all the places to eat and whatnot. Right. So she, when I had the heart attack, she was upset and she was yeah. like well can't you just try right. going plant-based for yeah. a while and yeah. i was like well i ate the way i wanted to my whole life right. so i'll eat this way yeah for you know two months and see how it goes and that yeah. was three years ago and were you scared at all scared yeah. of which part so when you had a heart attack no because it was so like uh, rapid like i was uh, i was doing i was between shows right. i was doing uh we were shooting a Showtime special. There were two shows, live shows I was doing that night. It was between the two shows. And so by the time the ambulance picked me up to the moment I stepped out of the hospital when I was done after they put a stent in my heart, yeah. like 36 hours and no pain whatsoever. But, but, it was crazy. But, wait, but you're saying you, you were were not scared? I, was, I wasn't because it all happened fast and I was never in pain. So, yeah, and they told me they were like, when I got to the hospital, the whole time they were like, you know, they wouldn't tell me what was going on. Right, right. Um, when I got to the hospital, I met Dr. Ladenheim, the guy that saved my life. Yeah. And he was like, um, he's going, how are you feeling? Give me your pain level, zero to ten. Yeah. And I was like, negative three. And he goes, oh, you're doing it. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you're supposed to be in pain if you're having a right. heart attack. And yeah. I was like, I'm having a heart attack? He's right. like, you're having a massive heart attack right now. He's like, you don't feel it. I said, no. He goes, well, we got to work fast. It's never a good sign. So they got me upstairs and uh, they went to you were family. supposedly having a massive heart attack and you were in full
2: conversation describing yeah. your pain as negative three. And there was no pain.
3: Because the Widowmaker, I guess, is like one of those yeah. heart attacks. It's like the silent killer, right? Yeah. Like 83. Yeah. They told me 80% of the people that have it drop dead. It's really 83% of the people that get it drop dead. Right. 17% walk away. Wow. So it's, it's the one, like, whenever you hear about, like, this just dropped from a heart attack yeah, and yeah. like he didn't even know it was coming right. it's that heart attack so yeah. what happens is you get 100 percent occlusion in the LAD going across your heart right. and it just shuts everything down so i if i hadn't like literally if yeah. we hadn't gone to the hospital right i would have just died backstage i would have been like i'm gonna sit down for a minute and that's that so it was kind of <sighs> nuts so there was no time to be scared and i only found out all this yeah afterwards right then i right. was like oh i yeah. was close <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> i had no idea yeah but there was like going into it when he was like you know i'm gonna go he told me when he kind of go up your femoral artery they yeah. cut a hole in your groin yeah. go up and he's like it's what i thought it's 100 percent blockage and he told me he was gonna do he described right. it he's like his name for this is called the widow maker like you know they got a name he goes you're a comic book guy you right. like comics i yeah. said, I do he goes we got a name for this heart attack it's called the widow maker right. I said, why? And he goes, because in 80% of the cases of 100% occlusion, like you have, the patient always dies. He's going, but you're gonna be in the 20% because I'm good at my job. And he disappeared into my crotch and made magic. Whoa. Saved my life. It was crazy. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> so I never yeah. really, that was the only time when I was laying on the table. You I know that's like, the name of an album?
2: Which one? He disappeared in my crotch and, <laughs> and made, made magic.
3: That's <laughs> <laughs> my definitely my biography right, right, title. Right. But he, uh, he, he, like I laid there, you know, mm-hmm. while he was going through it, mm-hmm. And I didn't know I was hopped up on femoral, uh what do they call it, fentanyl yeah. or something like that. Oh, they got you. They oh, yeah, right? Kid, they keep yep. you in a state of twilight because I got to talk to you, but yeah. like, I was feeling literally no pain. And I was like, I can't understand why everyone's so concerned. And it was because I was on fentanyl. And so the dude, or whatever they gave me. And so the dude told me at one point, like uh, after he said, you know, 80% chance of dying, but I'm going to make that not be the case. So I was laying there on the table going like, 80% chance of dying, 20% chance of living. Yeah. Like, this is the worst sides I've ever had in my life. You right. figure you walk out of the house, it's 50-50, you get hit by a right. car, yeah. dog bites your yeah. juggler or right. whatever. But, like, 20% chance of yeah. walking out of the room. Yeah. I started looking out of the room and taking it all in and being like, this could be it. This could be the moment you've been waiting for yeah. your whole life. You've <laughs> always wondered where it's going to be, when it's right. going to happen, what's it going to feel like. Apparently, it could very well be here, but the dude took me back i'll tell you though while i was sitting there thinking about like dying like i didn't get scared even then i wasn't like oh my god i didn't you know pray to god because i figured jesus would be like you made dogma you go to hell so (laughs) i didn't i didn't presume upon that relationship and so i just started thinking instead about my life you know they talk about like your life flashes before your eyes well i wasn't in pain so my life wasn't flashing before my eyes but i figured like start the movie because it could end very soon and so i started thinking about everything and started thinking about like where I came from, my parents, I was like, you know, I had a good life, man. I got lucky. I didn't have, like, those parents that screwed me over or abused me or anything like that. We weren't rich, but they were never like, you know, you can't do anything. They were never like, you can do anything, but, like, they were never they were never discouraging. Right, right. You know, maybe they weren't encouraging because they couldn't conceive of that right like nobody in my world like went and made movies so my parents couldn't they would be excused for not thinking maybe the fat one will make movies one day <laughs> so I thought about them I was like I got so lucky with my parents yeah. and then my brother and sister I was like I got lucky there and then I had great friends and great wife and a kid and I was like it was all gravy man so like if it ends tonight don't like, don't be that person that's desperate and clinging. Don't yeah. be the last guy at the party. who's like, you got any more beer? Like, <laughs> go home. Like, if it's time to go home, go home. You had right. your fun. Right. So I reached this total zen place of where I was like, all right, if it ends tonight, it ends tonight. I feel pretty good about everything that I've done. And then the dude saved me. And then that's a really weird feeling because I wasn't emo where I was like, I want to die. It wasn't <laughs> that. But I had accepted the fact that yeah. I was like, oh, it's tonight's the night. And then all of a sudden the guy's like, tonight's not the night, you get to live. And then suddenly you're like, oh, I was at a place of utter acceptance and peace. The am I supposed to do with the rest of my life now? So every day feels like I'm living on borrowed time, more or less, because I feel like I should have died on that table. So I feel like, all right, like do the things that you were always hesitant about doing or afraid of doing because now you've seen what the end looks like and it comes like that and can take you out the game quick. So, so what's on that list? Like, are you, are you
2: really... Because I've heard people say that before and same then I everything. didn't get the feeling that they actually did anything different.
3: I, I don't have... Well, I did. I cha- I okay. went vegan, changed right. my life like three years ago. So I completely changed everything. But in terms of, like, what will I do now? Yeah. It was just more of the same. Like, yeah. well, the biggest change was... I remember I used to make movies that were all connected. Clerks, Rats, yeah. Chasing yeah. Amy uh dogma jay and silent bob strike back the the jay and silent bob movies we call them and then i stopped because people on the internet were like ew he keeps making those jay and silent bob movies i was like oh i better become a different filmmaker and i was always happiest when i made those movies so after the heart attack i was like everybody else like i almost died i'm not gonna make the movies they think i should make I'm going to make the movies that make me happy so you know i told the doctor when he was working on me that night i was like you got to save me man because i thought about it i was sitting there utterly at peace but i did think i was like if you do die tonight then yoga hosers is the last movie ever made and that's not the one to go out on so i I told the doc i was like you gotta pull me through man he goes why and i said because i want to make jane silent bob reboot that was the movie we made after i almost died and he goes there are a lot better reasons to save your life than that and i was like not really and so so now i'm into this world where i'm you know like years ago people would invite me and be like hey do you want to work in this job you want to show run this tv show and i would always be like no i just like Doing my thing. I got yeah. my own path and stuff. And now I'm like, yeah, I'll try it. Like, we just wound up yeah. finishing up this Masters of the Universe cartoon. Yeah. And I guarantee you, if I hadn't had a heart attack, I probably wouldn't have even taken that meeting. But since I had the heart attack, I was like, living on borrowed time anyway. Yeah, I'll meet with Mattel. <laughs> right. What's this about? They're like, hey, man. I'm like, hey, man.
2: Great. Let's make a show. Yeah. 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 Well, I love that you do that. You know, the other guy I've um, heard on this was Steve Jobs, late Steve Jobs before he passed away. Yeah. and He, he was way smarter and richer.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that dude had it down to a science. I got some good ideas, yeah, but yeah. he was a master.
2: You, you know, know what? Uh, he, was, he definitely was a master of the universe, but remember, he got that. Uh, diagnosis. uh, And it was a deadly one that most people pass away from. And then he got another seven years. Yeah, And so he gave, I thought the best college commencement speech I've ever seen. And it was short. Did you see that one that he gave at Stanford, which really does make you think about how you use your time? It's true. Well,
3: what made me think, when I saw him do a speech at Stanford, it made me think, like, I've never spoken at a good college like that. (laughs) I've been asked to commence at some colleges, but never Stanford. I was like, no wonder. They go for the really good guys. Yeah, honestly, like, coming away from that, from the heart attack, for me was just, um, like, aside from the physical change, in terms of, like, going vegan and dropping, like, a pile of weight, it was more about, like, understanding that, oh, you know, what are you, what are you waiting for? What are you holding on for? Any, any, any idea of, like, a five- or ten-year plan, which I never really had, like, try it now because yeah. tomorrow, you know, you could be in the middle of the sentence and then kind of stop and drop. So, you know, I remember the doctor told me when I left the hospital, he was very specific about that, the next morning, because I was in and out right. fast. And the doctor like, how do you feel? And I was like, I feel amazing. He goes, well, that's bad. And I was like, why is that yeah. bad? And he's going, that's the problem. He's going back in the day. You had a heart attack, you come in here, we saw your chest open, and you would have to heal for like three to six months from that, never mind the heart attack, yeah. and you'd know you went through something. Right, right. So you would change your life. He's yeah. going, well, now look at you. He's like, 36 hours you're out of here. Yeah. We went through your groin, you don't even feel anything, it's barely a scar. Oof. He's going, and what happens is people leave this hospital and forget how they got here, yeah. and then if I'm lucky, yeah. I'll see him one more time. Yeah. Other than that, they just die. He's right. going, so you leave this place, yeah. Is up to you. You want to change your life? You know what the problem is? Think about changing your life. And so my father had had, like, heart attacks and strokes. And he was, like, a lifelong diabetic. Right. And he never really would change after a dramatic medical episode. You know, for a little while. Right. A month he'd put it together yep. and stuff and then go back to his old ways. So I felt like, you well, know, Why do you think that was? Why do you think he didn't change? Um, because I think human beings like what they like. My father liked to eat peanut butter straight out the jar. Okay. And, you know, there was that moment in the hospital where he's like, oh, but my father spent most of his life in and out of the hospital. He was born with a, a cleft palate and a cleft lip. So as a young child, yeah. like, he was yeah. in surgery right, from right, the time he right. was one till nine. So my, I think my old man was just way familiar with the hospital. As a yeah. diabetic yeah. as well. He'd had a car accident. He'd had heart attacks and strokes. So I think for him, he's like, oh, well, I go to the hospital all the time. Right. Thinking that that would just go on forever, but yeah. age 67... It all ended for him. And so I remember feeling critical when I was younger. Like, you know, man, if he had just, like, kept to a sensible diet, he wouldn't have died so young at 67. And then at 47, yeah, I had my heart attack. <laughs> and I think that was my father being like, now who's judgy, piece of <laughs> So after that, yeah. I kind of used my dad's, the model of my dad's life going forward, where I was like, all right, well, not like he was, I'm certainly not saying what a terrible example he was, but... I saw what a man who went through a health crisis did and didn't do and that health crisis eventually came back bite him in the ass and I lost like a good 10 years with my old man because of it. So I felt like I don't wanna do that to my kid. I got a kid, kid likes me. It's rare when you got a kid that likes you. We were just having a conversation earlier today and she's like, you were never so much a dad as like the rich older brother who took me everywhere. And I was like, I like that. I like that because I never felt prepared to be somebody's parent. Like it felt weird. be like let me tell you how to do stuff when like i was still learning at age 29. so i never really treated the kid like like i was an authority figure i never talked down to her i was treated her as an equal and because of it we got like a really cool relationship we worked together i put her in the stuff i make and then we just the other day we did something i've never done in my life before i pitched a TV show with her and somebody like picked it up so we're going to make like a show together as Come creatives. On. That's nuts, man. Yeah, that Like it's is, one thing to be able is, to put is, your kid is. into things and you're yeah. like I hope she'll keep this up and be taken care of if I'm dead one day or, yeah. but being able to be like okay, this is how you make a show yeah. and so when I'm dead yeah. keep doing this. Right. Keep, you keep doing this until you're dead because you don't want to go to the real world. Dad <laughs> came from the real world. <laughs> we're struggling to stay away from that. Right, stay right. in this make pretend bubble and yeah. stuff. So, yeah, it's, it, it, the kid was definitely the mitigating factor for me, the difference between me and dad. And not to say that, like, my dad was like, well, my kid wasn't worth it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But he had three, and yeah. he was tired, and he'd spent his life battling, like, diabetes. So I think he was just like, well... You know, he'd lived longer than his parents. Yeah. yeah. My mom, my grandma had like really bad diabetes, lost like most of her feet and yeah. her eyesight and <laughs> stuff. So I think he felt like he'd get to 70. That was his yeah. big wish. He's yeah. like, I just want to get to 70, but he didn't quite make it. Harley's her name. Harley. How tall is she? She's, I got her by like an inch. She maintains with the same height, but I think I got her about by, by about an inch. My wife's hey. taller than both of those us. Yeah. How tall is your wife? She's got me by at least two inches. Well, I was going to say, was, was there, there any... Hobbit w- dudes. Was there any...
2: <laughs>
3: well, she married me when I was like just a physical wreck, too, in terms mm-hmm. of like much heavier d- and more like, sleeveless hooded sweatshirt. Um, sleeveless our- hooded? Yeah. That's commitment to excellence. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. So, so, uh, was, it's was almost as if I was like begging her not to marry me, <laughs> but uh, she, she went yeah. for it. You, you, how did you guys meet? I met my wife doing something like this. In fact, doing something like this out here. I was, uh, we were about to start shooting Dogma. Mm. And this story is going to get so name-dropping. Yeah. Chris Rock was shooting Lethal Weapon 3 or 4 out here at the mm. time. Mm. And so Joel Silver, the producer, wouldn't release him, even though he was supposed to come out to Pittsburgh to start shooting Dogma. So I had to come out here to rehearse with Rock between days he wasn't working on Lethal Weapon. Yeah. So while I was out here rehearsing with Rock, uh, the folks at Miramax were like, uh, hey, we need you to sit down and talk to journalists about Goodwill Hunting, which was mm-hmm. a movie that friends of mine made, but we were executive producers on, me and my buddy. Oh. So they were like, we don't, right now the whole world is trying to say that right. William Goldman wrote Goodwill Hunting, right. not Ben and Matt. Right. They're like, you know the truth, you need to go out there and tell people that mm-hmm. like, you read the script back before anybody else, you know it was them and that Goldman. I said, yeah, that's fine. And there's like, we'll couch it in uh, stuff about Chasing Amy, which had just come mm-hmm. out. And you're heading toward Dogma, and we had a Clerks comic book. So I came out here to sit down, interview with somebody from USA Today. And I remember they were like, her name's Jennifer Schwabach. And I had met journalists from USA Today. Right, right. And they were all about as old as my mom. Right. They were older. Yeah. So I heard Schwabach and I thought like, this is gonna be this large German Frau and stuff, right. maternal woman. Right. Right. And Chris Rock came over to the hotel. it was the Bellage, which is now the London hotel. And we rehearsed, rehearsed for two hours, and he was like, what else are you going to do while you're out here? I was like, oh, I got an interview in a little bit, so I'm going to do that. Um, and he was like, well, try to have fun, Kev. You never have fun. You're always thinking about work. And I was like, I will. And he left. Then about an hour later, a knock came at the door, and I opened the door, and there was this gorgeous woman about 25, 26, standing in the doorway. And my first thought was, oh, my God, like Chris Rock sent a hooker to my hotel room. He <laughs> thinks I'm a guy that would picture. He told right. me to have fun. Right, right, right. I was like, how do I let him down? Right, right. And then she was like, I'm here to interview you. I'm Jennifer Schwabach. I was like, You're Jennifer Schwabach? Right. They sent you. I said, Oh my god, come in. So we did a two-hour interview. Uh-huh. And then when the interview was done, we sat around for three hours just bull Wow. So one, you know, they felt like, yeah, oh, yeah. she's she's very interesting. Either that or I was like, she's super polite. Right. So um I we started talking from there, and then I came back out for the Independent Spirit Awards in 19 19- 98 we won one for chasing amy and stuff yeah. so i didn't want to come but they were like you're gonna win one you gotta go so I, I was coming out and i called her and i was she was covering like the oscars oh, so she year. was still on your mind all the time okay. i mean she was yeah. like stunning yeah. and yeah. also she seemed somewhat interested right, in me. Right. And those two things yep. never went together <laughs> right. so and she lived out here she was very metropolitan cosmopolitan yeah. and stuff like yeah. that and she worked a business adjacent but right. not like in yeah. the business yeah. and so she felt like a normie like a real person to me so she'd been covering, like, the Oscars that year. She covered, like, Golden Globes for USA Today. So I was like, hey, man, are you covering the Independent Spirit Award? She's like, no, that's too small. And I was like, oh. I was like, well, <laughs> that, that small place, I think they're giving me an award. And I was wondering if you were going to be there. And she's so, like, I'm not, but, like, I'll go with you if you want. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, it doesn't have to be a date, but, like, we could just go together and stuff. So I went. I won an award, which, like, always kind of looks cool and stuff. I also got up and presented. And then after the ceremony, like, I was supposed to fly back to... Pittsburgh to work on Dogma, but I was like, I'm just gonna hang out with you tonight, and so we went out to eat, and then we went back to her place, and and I didn't I didn't leave that night. Wow. I wound up staying. Wow. Yeah, I could wow. never pull that off today. <laughs> I don't know how I pulled it off then. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. you only have to be like kind of good for certain things once in your life. <laughs> you know, I have a whole career predicated on one movie I made, Clerks, <laughs> first movie. Everyone. <laughs> The rest of the movies, people are like, ah, I can take them or yeah, leave. Him. But yeah, that movie yeah. is the gas that has driven yeah. me so yeah. far. That one first meeting, the yeah. first discussion like where she was interviewing me, but then we sat around just yeah. talking like people for hours. Yeah. That paved the way for the, the last 22 years of my life. And why did Clerks work?
2: Because that is an interesting thought about one mm-hmm. right door. Why
3: do you think it worked? Was, think, there, was there one thing? Was there two things? Were there 12 things? I think things? Clerks works for a number of reasons. Number one... Any workplace comedy thing right. works, right? Yeah, like, because um, everyone has a job in this yeah. world, so you can all relate to that. And you know, that was a job about people working who hated working, yeah. who would do anything they could to not work <laughs> while they're at their job. Right, right. So there's the identity factor there. The Cinderella story aspect of it, like, was a massive hook because yeah. it was like, yeah. this guy, right, right. he worked in a convenience store, <laughs> he made a movie about right. a convenience store, right. now he's making a movie. Yeah. Like, so people like that. They're right. like, oh, he won the lottery, yeah. good for him. I think that helped. I think the fact that it looks so terrible, like it's a black and white movie, looks like it's shot through a glass of milk. <laughs> right. it makes you feel like, I could do this. Like, this counts as a movie. I think I could make a, a film as well. Right, right. Um, the acting's not incredibly stellar. It's yeah. just good enough. Yeah. So you sit there going like, well, hell, you don't have to go to film school. You don't right. have to be a good actor. Like, it's kind of cute. It's, it's almost like, you know, when I was a kid, I used to love watching Little Rascals on yeah. TV. They were old theatrical shorts, yeah. Yeah. but as a child, they ran them on, like, the yeah. local uh, syndicated station. And those kids were always up to something. They were always putting on a show, charging yeah. a penny, and, yeah. and giant productions and whatnot. Yeah. And I think when people looked at Clerks, they were like, oh, the Little Rascals are alive and well, yeah. and they're making crappy independent <laughs> films, you know, that have a lot of heart, <laughs> but, man, they look <laughs> terrible. So it worked out <laughs> in, in our in our favor, and uh, I guarantee you, ever yeah. since 1993, mm-hmm. I, I swear, not a day has gone by where I probably have not uttered the, the term clerks yeah. in reference to that movie. Like, it's the thing that changed my life. Mm-hmm. It's the most interesting thing about me, like, still to this day, mm-hmm. especially for people who know me where they're like, you? Like, you had no ambition. Why mm-hmm. did you think you could do that? And I don't know. Still to this moment, I... I don't understand like why I made the move I did because I never really left the house. I was never like a world traveler and never was, you know, I went to film school in Vancouver, which was like so strange for me. And then like pursuing and finishing something was, I hadn't finished college or anything like that. So the one thing that I actually was like, you know, let me see if I can, be serious and 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 finish this because it means something to me. I wanted to be a storyteller. I didn't think I was good at much else. There were two things in this life I figured I could do: make a sandwich because I worked at many delis, and then you know write. I felt like I could write. I had felt I had a voice. So I I went. that, for that
2: is it. special because I've met you helps. people before who feel like you can write. You people. Yeah, it you helps. people. Right? <laughs> but you know, what? the, the yes. people
3: who think they can write, it's yeah. like. You know you can do it. It's an unnecessary yeah. and, and really what I call yeah. it is like um, you, you have to have a reasonable amount yeah. of unreasonability yeah because it's unreasonable to be like, I want to make my living making pretend like right. that's that's what children do. children right. run around right. and say, you're this, I'm this yeah. as adults, you're supposed to be serious and get a job mm. and help the move the world move forward, have mm. a family and like that. Having a, a job where you make pretend is like that's you know high dee in actor's life right. for me. That's verified breathing. Every generally right-headed adult you ever meet in your life will be like, well, if you're going to pursue that, yeah. at least have a backup plan because yeah. that's right. a risky business <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. So it, it is like it's a business of pure fantasy. Yeah. And most responsible adults like can dream about it the same yeah. way you dream about yeah. playing a lottery. Yeah but you don't really take it seriously because you're like, well, I got people that depend on me. I made a choice when I was just young enough. I was living on my parents, I was 22 years old. I didn't go to college, so like I didn't cost them a bunch of money. And here I was going like, I saw this movie Slacker and I think maybe I could make a movie too. And they, again, they weren't like, you could do anything you believe in, Tiger. You know, Reach for the stars. We didn't come from that world. But at least they weren't like, don't do this. Right. Like this is the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Like I, and I'll never forget my mother told me That my father, like I made this video for my parents when I went away to film school. And it's incredibly self-serious where I sit down in front of a borrowed VHS camera Mm -hmm. and I tell my parents, like, everything changes after this. I'm going to go away and when I come Mm -hmm. back, I hope to bring, like, fame to this family name. Like, you know, and my parents, I'm sure, watched the tape and were like, this kid, we know him. <laughs> like We know what he's capable of, <laughs> who does he think he is. And my father said to my mother after they watched the tape, it still makes me laugh to this day. my mom goes, I said, uh, what did dad say uh, when he watched that? Because uh, he was not the hard-on-his-sleeve yeah, type right, of person right, like I right, am yeah. and shit. So I was like, what did dad say? And my mom goes, he said to me, well... At least he thinks he's going to be famous. That's nice. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, there wasn't a lot of, like, you could do this. But, there, you know, sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes you just need people to not hold you back at the right moment in time. And so they let me run with it, you know. And my mother always said, like, he'll do this, he'll get it out of his system, then he'll get a real job like his brother and sister. And mercifully it worked out, man. I made a believer of my parents. Like, they went from being like, this sort of thing doesn't happen to like, oh my lord, this this happens. And my old man got to see yeah. before he died, like me go he, from being a filmmaker to being like a a rack and tour. Like I started diversifying the portfolio and stuff, and he loved me just going up on stage and talking. He was like, well, the movies, anybody could do that, but like you go up like you're a comedian. He loved comics and oh. stuff. So it was it was really sweet. <laughs> It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they
2: get what they've always wanted to get, people quit.
0: Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart. In ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there.
2: What was the wildest thing that happened once you got famous? You probably know Nelson George. You yeah, know Nelson. of course. I know Nelson. And so Nelson. I went to
3: see Run DMC. The last time I saw Run DMC was with Nelson that right? and Chris Rock. Is that right?
2: Nelson's a good dude. Yeah, yeah, I know he and Rock are close. Um, so, you know, he told me interesting stories about what happens. Because, you know, he, he wrote lots of cover stories for Rolling Stone yeah. back in the day. And so he would meet people just as they were becoming famous, whether it was George Michael or mm. Rock or whomever. Mm. And he told me really interesting about the first year after people become famous. What was some of the most
3: interesting things that happened to you when you became famous? Not a lot. Like, Mm -hmm. especially, like, you mentioned, like, people like Rock or George Clooney. Those people are famous. Like, I'm I'm like, oh, there's that Clerks guy. Most people are like, oh, it's Silent J. And I'm like, well... That's the other guy, and he ain't even silent, but whatever. You know, get close. I get a lot of like, Kevin James, and I'm like, yeah, man, I'll tell Leah Remini, I said you said hi. So I'm like, I wouldn't say I'm super famous. I'm like quasi, and and in certain circles, very. if I go to Comic-Con, yes, everybody's like, there he is. But like in the real world, not so much. So my first year of of quote-unquote being famous was, you know, I lived in Jersey still. I stayed in Jersey for the first, let me see, from Clerks until... Jane, saw Bob Shek back. So for six years of wow. the beginning of my career. And, you know, that meant I wasn't out here. I wasn't, like, engaging in the lifestyle yeah. and stuff. I didn't want to become a filmmaker so I can, like, get access to drugs and parties. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make films. Mm-hmm. So I kind of kept my nose right to the grindstone. So, you know, Clerks worked incredibly. It was overpraised and stuff. But I was smart enough to set up the next thing while we were still out yeah. promoting Clerks. And then... When uh, Mallrats was finishing, I set up chasing Amy, So I just kept working and working and working. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until, like I guess, ten years after I started my career, that I realized, oh, I'm, like they know me, yeah. like they right. know who I am yeah. and stuff. And yeah. that was, I think, when I went to a comic con and saw people dressed not just as my character, yeah. like Silent Bob, that kind of makes sense, but dressed like me. People were cosplaying. Me. That is interesting. That is nuts. And it's verified error. I I rarely see that in the world. But it's like most people will cosplay somebody's character, but like they rarely cosplay that person. And there's only one other person who I know like that, and that was a guy who was very dear to me, but he's passed on, Stan.
1: People yeah, would go to Comic Con yeah.
3: and dress like Stan right, Lee, yeah, even though yeah. Stan Lee wasn't a character. Right. But we all know yeah. that Stan Lee was the greatest character that Stan Lee ever created. Right, right, Never right, mind Spider-Man right, and stuff right, like that. Right, right. So yeah, it's uh, about that point. Like I realized, oh, like I'm. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not famous like Rock and, right. and Clooney, but like. I'm famous enough where people are like, I want to dress like that guy, which is such a mistake. Because you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm never I've never been known yeah. for my hot couture. You know, what, I'm liking what you're doing here, man. I've been this making the- this purple jaguar <laughs> for like two years <laughs> you, now.
2: You know what? I call this the zero percent fear look. You know? <laughs> yes, you're it's absolutely like the 0% right. It's fear look. It's, it's true. A, you know what I mean? It's, it's like- the I'm married
3: look. It's just like clearly he's not trying whatsoever. But yeah, it's uh. in terms of like. Uh, like being known or yeah. whatever, yeah. it's not been bad. I've never yeah. felt, experienced bad things, but I also like never, like, was like, let's see how far we could take this. Some people, like, you know, actors and actresses particularly, are used to hearing no for so long that when somebody finally says yes and they invite them into the room, they just kind of lose it. They start treating people the way they were treated, They're like, now it's my time, as opposed to like, remember when you weren't the person in the yeah. room and like yeah. why would you act this way so I was always really like conscious of not counting my chickens yeah. like you know in, in uh, what is that um, movie The Princess Bride where he's talking about uh, when he was the Dread Pirate Roberts and like every night yeah. the Dread Pirate Roberts yeah. would be like goodnight Wesley well done I might kill you in the morning <laughs> and so I always felt that way about my career where yeah. it's like every day you know yeah. when I went to bed like, goodnight this yeah. may be over tomorrow yeah. so I you know I didn't want to waste time Partying or or doing like doing stuff I literally could have done without being a filmmaker. Like if I wanted to go to parties, get drunk, do drugs, I could have done that in Highlands, New Jersey. You know, without <laughs> going through all this trouble. So once I got my foot in the door, I just wanted to stay in the door, man. But the you know the the wonderful thing about it's not so much like being well known, but like meeting well known people. Like you know as a guy who grew up on TV and movies, like meeting famous people was the mind bender for me. Like one time we were over to Hill. Me and Scott Mosier were at Universal because we made Mallrats with Universal. So we go to the commissary, which is, you know, the little restaurant right there on a, on the campus, Universal campus, with uh, our boss, Jim Jacks, producer of the movie. Sean Connery sitting at another table eating a bowl of soup. And me and Scott Mosier are staring at this old man going, like, look at him. He's eating soup like a normal human being. And, you know, unnerved the dude. But, like, that, that for me was, like, the... The craziest I got in this world was the stargazing, yeah, you know, yeah. just like, <gasps> and then sometimes getting to talk to people. That's yeah. been the beauty of this business. Is like you can go up to people because yeah. of like what I do for a living. You get to meet people whose work you love, yeah. and be like, oh my god, that thing you did. Yeah. Let me tell you, it meant this much to me. That's the beautiful byproduct. Who, of the
2: who job. have you learned something interesting from?
3: Stanley, hands okay. down. Would you would you learn from Stanley? You? I learned how to treat my audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stanley never talked down to the audience. Mm-hmm. He always brought. audience with him he kept the story going from beginning all the way to the end not just when you opened up the comic book the story started with Stan before you even opened up the comic book because he would tub thump for Marvel Comics he would make it seem like a party he'd see him in the gutters editorial uh, in in uh, you know Stan's soapbox and the letters pages he was all over the book so he's uh, not only telling you the story as the writer he's involved in the story. And then when you close the book, he's also the guy that you could catch on TV talking about how comic books are important. Like, I remember when I was, like, nine years old, my father woke me up one day, he's like, get up, yeah. Spider-Man's dad's on TV. Yeah. And I, he brought me into the living room, and there's Stan Lee yeah. talking about, like, on a Today show or something, talking about comic books at a time that the world wasn't really talking about comic yeah. books, and he was treating it seriously and stuff. Mm-hmm. This was a true believer, a guy who believed in what he was selling. Like, at the end of the day... Stan was one of the greatest salesmen you ever met. What he sold, though, was the pure joy of imagination of comic books. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be the great American writer. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who was like, I want to write the great American novel, and instead wound up writing comic books, which most of his career he was ashamed about because he was like, I want to be a real writer. Stan Lee is not even his name. Stanley Lieber was his name. Mm-hmm. He chose Stan Lee as a pen name because he's like, well, I, when I write my real right. work, I'm going to use my name. And the dude didn't understand until later in life. It's like, Stan, like anyone can write the great American novel, you created the great American mythology. You created the great American fan base. This is a guy who created fandom. He was the bridge between that which we love and the audience and taking people to it. And as an old man, like I'd see him on TV, he was always old as as long as I was (laughs) alive. But here was this adult, talking about childish things in a very grown-up way. Not dismissive like the adults in my world, they're like, oh, comic books, Star Wars, grow up. Here was a guy talking about like, no, he's a grown man with a mustache, looks like your grandfather. And he's still talking about Spider-Man, the Avengers, Thor. And, more importantly, he treats the audience like gold. If you ever met Stan, he sat there and talked to you for a few seconds, take a picture, as if the sun was shining on you that moment. Mm. That's how you treat your Mm. bosses, and that's Mm. what Stan understood. His boss wasn't Martin Goodman, the guy upstairs who owned timely comics that became Marvel. His boss was every kid that cracked that book. Mm. So you meet your bosses throughout your life if if you're lucky enough to build stuff that there's an audience for. Those are your employees, Mm -hmm. and those are employers, and you are their employee, and all you have to do is act the same way you would act with your boss. Like, you know, if my boss came in the room like when I worked at Quick Stop, I was like, hey, what do you need, you know, on your best behavior. When I meet the audience, just like Stan, same thing. What do you need? I'm sitting there, I'll listen to anything they say, and chances are they're going to say amazing things to you if you sit there and listen. Some people are too busy. I'm moving on, I can't take pictures. You sit there and actually listen to somebody, like I can't tell you how many times people have been like, I was going to commit suicide, and then I put your movie in and it saved my life. Let me tell you the story of this. Let me tell you the story of how my mother died watching Jersey Mm -hmm. and it meant that much to her. Amazing things that they want to share with you. I got nothing but time for that. I tell people, they're like, I'm sorry I'm holding you up. I'm like... Why do you think I did all this yeah. I literally did all this just for this moment so that yeah. a total stranger would come up to me and make me feel beloved. Yeah. Like, it's a strange feeling, and I never take it for granted, but no matter where I go in this life, there's a certain amount of percentage of people that I will run into, not even speak to, just see from across the room, who will make eye contact and be yeah. like, and give wow. me this, and just give me, like, you, wow. you, if they don't flat out come over and yeah. tell you how yeah. much they mean. Yeah. Like, I, I tell my wife all the time, like, My love barometer is skewed. I'm totally Mm -hmm. devoted to my wife and Mm -hmm. stuff, but I'm like, you know, I get love everywhere. Like everywhere. And she's like, well, it's not real love. I was like, you have no idea. It is real love. It's not the love that you give me, the love that we share as like husband and wife with a family. But like, it's just as valid when a total stranger comes up to you and starts bearing their soul based on some goofy crap you said in a a movie once. So it's breathing rarefied air. And you treat that preciously. That's what Stan always imparted. Never sat down and be like, Kevin, take yeah, my advice. Yeah. He just lived by that example. You, you, you need to make that your TED Talk.
2: Think you, so? You meet your bosses every day. Yeah. That is a different way to think. It's true. And, and in that, my and line of work And for that sure. will break through. I think everybody's line you of work. You think it works for everybody? I, I think so because, you know, it, it's interesting. I heard Mayor, Mayor Pete said the same thing to me. Because p- he said, you know, I ran for president. I was what I wanted to do. I didn't win. He said, but Carlos, the number of times people came up to me in airports, either someone who was, um, uh, uh, she, he said disproportionately who was gay and a teenager. Right. And came up to him. Or he said sometimes it was an older gentleman who would just look at him. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes he would see tears come down people's eyes. Yep, yep. And so your point about, you know, I mean, I, I like Meet Your Bosses because it's a grab-you title. Um, but you can put a different word in there, true. right? But 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 I think it's it, it would break through to a lot of people in terms of how we think about, um, you know, other people mm. and how we and how we engage and how we move uh, with them. It's true. Why do you only have one kid?
3: Uh, I guess I got like weak sperm <laughs> to yep. be honest with you. I mean, to be honest, like yeah. the kid got me into that situation in the first place. Yeah. You know, I always tell the kid I was like. Yeah. If it weren't for you, me and mom probably wouldn't be together. But it was the prospect of you that suddenly we were like, all right, let's see if we can make this relationship work. And we've been making it work for, like, over two decades. So certainly, I mean, this sounds gross, but certainly not from lack of trying. Like, we've we've had plenty of sex over the years, and it was just that one. And Jennifer's like, she was meant to be, man. Like, she brought this family together. And so she's kind of, like, at the root of all things, as our children should be. I started the journey you know, by myself. And, and I always thought I was the hero of my own story, the Horatio Alger of my tale and stuff. And then one day you realize, you know, oh, it's, I'm, I'm just prelude to this story. This is the real story. You were just all set up to this. It's the kid's story and stuff. And, you know, I tell the wife all the time, like, whenever she's like, oh, the kid needs that or the kid wants to do this, kid wants to spend this, I was like, let's let her do it. Number one, she's not spoiled, she doesn't ask for a lot, but I was like, number two, like, I said, she gets it all anyway. Right. Like, what are we doing this for right. if not her? She's the only one. I said, and honestly, like, right. we live in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I was always worried yeah. about raising my kid in Los Angeles. She might grow up to be, like, a or worse, a Kardashian or something like that. So I was always telling yeah. the wife, I was like, let's give her money anytime she yeah. needs it because we don't, like, we don't want to be, like, menendez in the night. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you guys didn't do it enough, and then we go out. So I'm like, well, she's a good yeah. kid, but yeah. you never know instead. Yeah, yeah. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to
1: get. People quit.
0: Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there.
2: Hey, man, um before we wrap
3: up, I want to do a little rapid fire. You mind if I hit you with a couple? Please. I just don't know if I can answer rapidly, as <laughs> you can see. It's y- y- you anecdotes. know what? I trust you. I trust I'll you. Try,
2: I'll try to keep it tight. I trust you. Um, talk, you're talking about writing. Mm-hmm. Who's? Uh, what's your favorite book of all time?
3: Favorite book of all time, uh, a piece of literature would be The Catcher in the Rye. It's an insanely insightful piece um, uh, in terms of uh, being in a character's headspace and also writing in the character's voice, which is something I would wind up doing for the rest of my life. The character, my character that I write in just happens to be my voice and stuff. But... Yeah, Holden Caulfield was very formative. Not in his worldview, um, but definitely the book was because, you know, you get to the end of the book and you're like, I never want to be Holden Caulfield. You start the book going like, oh, this kid rocks. So you finish the book going, this kid's broken and sad. So I love that. Uh, in terms of graphic novel, uh, The Dark Knight Returns uh, by Frank Miller. The seminal work is, is absolutely my Bible. There's a, a graphic and an image and a text on, on page one, of the story, Bruce Wayne is driving a... Formula One racing car, and you know, he's not been Batman for 10 years, he's got the big old mustache and stuff. And he's talking about how he's about to break into this turn, and if he does, the car is gonna rip apart, it can't hold it, he's gonna die. And he says, This would be a glorious death. And then the very next panel, he like jerks the wheel and he's like, But not good enough. And then the adventure begins. So I always love that, because it's like, This story could literally end in the fifth or sixth panel of page one. But this guy's like, Not yet, not good enough. So I think we're always looking for a glorious death. Or just a glorious life, maybe. Now, now Carlos, that's your (laughs) TED talk. (laughs) That is fantastic. Maybe,
2: maybe. For your money, using only your own definitions is all your choice. Yes. Best actor for your money of all time.
3: Who's the GOAT? Um, Let me see. I mean, a personal favorite is Robert Shaw, who played Captain Quint in Jaws, because I love Jaws so much. But, you know, living actor um, who always consistently delivers, and each time you're like, wow. Yeah, it's, a, it's not a very sexy answer, but Meryl Streep is, like, amazing. Fellow Jersey resident, or original Jersey oh, resident. Oh, she Jersey, She's too? from Jersey, as well. We take great pride in that. Really? Greatest actress of our living day and age, and she's a Jersey girl. A well. lot of gain. A lot of gain. Yes.
2: Um, same thing again. Uh, these are Smith rules. Best director of all time. Who's the go?
3: Wow. Um, wow tough i mean you know there's uh, you can't deny the power of spielberg's mainstream uh appeal um martin scorsese's uh personal yet streetwise uh, oeuvre um i'm also a big spike lee fan um i'm a, you know what i'm gonna pick richard linklater um, oh, going all the way back to the beginning. Going back to, yeah, because Slacker made me the filmmaker I am today. That's a powerful document for change. I've watched many movies in my life. Never once after them thought, oh, I could do that. I want to be a filmmaker. Yeah. Never, they they showed me their dreams. Yeah. They didn't make me dream. Slacker made me a dreamer. Slacker made me go, wait, I think I could do this. So that, it probably is the most transformative movie I've ever seen in my life, an insanely powerful document for change. So whoever made that... You know, that's the hand of God right there. So Richard, I'd say Richard. That's
2: actually very powerful what you said in terms of, they would show me their dreams, would make me dreams. I used to have two prime ministers in England in the uh, late 1800s. And they said with one of them, you always knew that he was the smartest one in the room. The other one always made you feel
3: like you were the smartest one
2: in the room. It was obviously the other one that was a prime minister longer and more times. It's a gift. It's true. It's very, very true. And, you
3: know, I know that dude didn't do it going like, I hope this makes a bunch of people filmmakers. But it had that effect. Your favorite drink? Of all time? Well, pre-vegan was milk. I used to, this is gross, but I used to drink two gallons of milk a day. Lots of milk. Probably why I had the heart attack. Probably why yeah, I had the occlusion.
2: That's, aren't those the Muscle Beach
3: guys? Aren't they always doing the? Uh... Problem was I didn't do that. <laughs> I would just drink the milk, and that was it. So right, right. um, post veganism, because I haven't drank milk since then. Right. Uh, now I'm just like a like straight up water or black tea right. kind of guy. So I mean, it sounds boring, but I would say black tea. But if I can have anything in the world that I wanted, um, probably YooHoo. YooHoo, go go back. Just zero percent. Tastes like a happy child. Right.
2: Oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. Uh, Most beautiful place you've ever been to in this world?
3: Uh, Neuchâtel, uh, which is in Switzerland. I went there for the Neuchâtel Film Festival. And it's like somewhere between France and Belgium and and I forget which countries, but it's nestled in this little place. And it's absolutely gorgeous. They make the best chocolate in the world, wafer thin. But the hills, like there's this gigantic lake, Lake makes it looks like it's the ocean, but it's on a hilltop. It's really, really beautiful. Oh, I love that. I love that. If you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would you love to have? Dad. Dad. Dad died. What, what, what was your dad's name? Donald. Don oh. Smith. He was a postal worker. Really? But Dad dropped dead. Uh, he made it as far as Jersey Girl. So he made it till about 2004. And, you know, I after that, like 2007, I started podcasting. So I've, you know, been podcasting since 2007. I've recorded... Everybody in my life, I've done multiple podcasts with my mother. Got my mother stoned on a podcast. <laughs> but my father, <laughs> yeah, oh, it was amazing. It was kept, outstanding. Kept feeding her edibles, and the stories hey, got better hey, and better. Hey, hey. Um, but my dad, I, I wish to God, um, I, I had been a podcaster when my dad was still around. So if I could eat with anyone, I'd eat with the old man. I'd put a microphone on him. because. You know we live in the era of the you know digital camera, So everybody got a camera on their phone. So nobody will ever forget what anybody looks like in this life because we're always taking pictures taking selfies nobody ever records anybody's voice though take that for granted man and so that's the first thing that goes when somebody dies the longer they're they've been out of your life the harder it is to hold on to that voice picture i got pictures of dad galore can't always remember what dad sounds like so if i could have one last dinner with him, i put a microphone on him and ask him some insanely boring just to be able to hear the same he used to say when I was a kid. Can you imagine, I'm sure you can,
2: you probably can't even fully how proud he was of you. Mm. I mean, mean, think about for a guy who was in and out of the hospital as you described it, worked hard at the post office, couldn't have predicted that his son was gonna win as big, Mm -hmm. and loves seeing you on stage. You, you probably, you, even as much as you know, you probably have no idea yeah. what that did to him and how that turned him. And he probably went out feeling like I won.
3: He did. Right. He, we had this great night with him right before he dropped dead. The night he dropped dead, we were in Philadelphia. I was at the Wizard Comic Con and I was going to be doing a Q&A talking. And they were in Florida, my mom and my dad, my brother lived down there. My sister was going to be in Philly with her husband, so my mom was like, you're in Philly, your sister's in Philly, we're going to fly up and watch you do your show. I was like, Mom, please don't. Like, I'm going to be busy, I ain't going to have time to host. And my mother's like, I never get all my kids in one place, we're going. So they all came up, they all watched me do, like, the show and stuff. My old man, I got a picture of him, of me talking, and you could see this bald-headed dude, you know, in the front row in a wheelchair, that was my old man. Mm -hmm. So then we all went out to eat at Morton's Steakhouse that night, and it was me and my mom and my dad and my wife, Jen, and my brother, Donald. His husband, Jerry, was still back in Florida, but my sister, Virginia, and uh, her husband, Eric, were there. We had this great night, all sitting around, making the parents laugh, trying, you know, competition almost kind of thing. And you could see the joy in his face. Like, I did it. Look what we did and stuff. And, and, you know, he had, like, two pieces of filet mignon that night, two pieces of cheesecake, (laughs) a couple of Manhattans. So he was enjoying (laughs) the hell out of himself. So we put him in a car that night after Morton's and and kissed him and said goodnight. He went to a hotel uh, with Mom, and uh, me and Jen went to this other hotel. And then I got a phone call from my brother, at like five in the morning and he was like, you gotta get down to the hospital on Sycamore. And I was like, why? He's like, dad's in the hospital. And dad was always in the hospital. So I was like, well, I'm gonna come at like 10 o'clock. He goes, now, and he hung up the phone. I got down there, I walked into the emergency room and I saw the scariest thing I ever saw in my life. My mother, she was babbling incoherently, Mm -hmm. praying, you know, she's a religious woman, praying to God, praying to Jesus at like such a rapid rate. And she looked terrified. The way people look in a movie when you got a gun on their face. She was like, oh, God, Jesus, please, no. Please, no. And I couldn't process it. My brother is holding her. And so my mom's turned away from me. And my brother looks at me. And I'm like this. And my brother just goes like this. And so I went to the desk. And I was like, Don Smith. And they brought me into the back. And my father was laying on a stretcher, just still as a raincoat. And he was intubated. But he was gone. And I used to, like, watch bowling for dollars with yeah. him when I was a kid and he would lay like this way around in front of the TV and I'd t-bone him and lay right. on his yeah. stomach and yeah. watch TV and so you know I was let me see it was it was uh, 2004 so I was 34 years old and so I put my head on his on his stomach for like the last time ever and the first time since I was like six and then let him go so you know he was, He loved seeing me stand up and talk because he was not a big public speaker, not a public speaker at all. Um, He loved that the movies got picked up and stuff, but he was also the kind of guy, like, I'll never forget this. Like, you could have a hundred good reviews, and he'd be like, did you see the Asbury Park Press? (laughs) They didn't like it. And you're like, yes, Dad, but did you see the New York Times? They did like it. So, you know, he kept me real, man. Mm -hmm. But he put me on the path. He took me to the movies when I was a kid like that was the thing we did together like at one point I guess he said to my mother like look me movies and me and movies and the kid that'll be our me and the fat one we'll go to the movies (laughs) and so he would take me every Wednesday like midway through the day I went to a Catholic school and my mom was like your dad's gonna pick you up noon you're gonna go to the movies I was like what do I tell sister sister Teresa and they're like just tell him you're anti so I was like my dad's (laughs) coming to pick me up my (laughs) (laughs) anti lying to a nun on behalf of my parents. And so my we kept doing it. Like, my father was just like, we'll do this every week. And he would come take me, and I'd be like, what do I say? And they're like, tell him your uncle died. And eventually the office was like, Kevin, you have a lot of dead relatives. It's very suspicious. We will pray for them all. But he was the one that took me to the movies all the time. And he never once said, you could do this, because we weren't from that world. But watching my father watch movies made me want to be a storyteller. Like I knew my father as my dad and he was like stoic and he played the role of dad. I remember going to see Raiders of the Lost Ark with him. And, you know, it was a transformative experience because I m- I met my dad many times. I never met Don Smith until that day. I never met the guy that my dad was before I was born until that day because he was beside himself trying to describe why he liked Raiders of the Lost Ark so much. He's like, you don't understand, when I was a kid, we would go to the movie theaters and they would show something like this. And then there'd be like a cliffhanger and you had to come back the next week to see it. This is the movie I used to see when I was a kid. And he was so ebullient and full of joy. And I remember thinking like, that's, that's the effect that it can have on somebody like that. Like I loved movies so it would make me excited I'd run around and play Star Wars, but my father was a grown ass man. And in that moment, he seemed like my age. And also, I got to know him a little better, like, that's what he likes? Like, how interesting. So, he put me on the path. He never said, you should or could do this. But when it happened, I told him. I was just like, you realize that you taking him into the movies led to this? And he goes, I didn't take you to see movies like this. He's talking about clerks. <laughs> and I was like, I know, but a movie's a movie,
2: Dad. <laughs> Hey, man, bravo to you on just uh, so many levels. I uh, and, and I love that you have your fingers in so many different things. And although this will feel a little bit out of left field, I think so much about um, helping other people dream and mm-hmm. dream fearlessly. And I think there's something about you and the way you tell stories that would be particularly impactful in lots of black and brown communities. Oh, I can't quite explain it, and I may have the same feeling that your dad had with Raiders of the Lost Ark, Right, right where it may, I may not articulate it perfectly, right. but I think that your love of what you've done, your appreciation of it, your thinking about, you know, your bosses, I, I think as you know, not everybody gets to dream for any of a combination of reasons or not everyone always feels like they can pursue them. And I think that when you talked about, you know, not just hearing someone else's dream, but but I think the way you tell the story would make other people dream. That's what I think would happen. So I'm sure you probably have already done a bunch of that over the years, but... I hope you double down on it. And in my mind, I'm thinking about the school in Newark that I went to years Ah, ago. Yeah, called North Star Academy. My
3: people came from Newark originally. Before we moved down to the Jersey Shore, we all came from Newark.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's a a great school there, and there are these great teachers, and most of the kids are on free and reduced lunch. But when you see these kids in the morning assembly, they believe. Those teachers have everybody believing that something special could
3: happen. Anyhow. I hope it would to help uh, to have somebody yeah. who's like, look, yeah. I'm an idiot, yeah. and something special <laughs> happened. So it is, it's possible. I, you know, it's, I love to tell people that like, you know, whenever I do shows and stuff, I always try to go out somewhat inspirational. I'm like, there's two paths in this life. There's creation and destruction, and the destruction path is way crowded because it's easy. Anybody can knock stuff down, make fun of it and stuff. There's lots of traffic on the destruction path. was like, creation path wide open because nobody wants to do it is is scary. Yeah. You gotta give a little bit more of yourself than most, most people are comfortable doing. I was like, so of those two paths, you're silly not to take creation. Yeah. Like, it's always better making a thing. Yeah. Anybody could break a thing.
2: Yeah. Hey man, they're making me let you go, but I so appreciate you. I appreciate Absolute you pleasure. in the best way. So thank you. That well, means the world. Thank huh? you for doing this. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Carlos Watson Show Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends to find us on the iHeart Podcast app or Apple Podcasts.